Wonderful. Good evening, everybody. Um, weren't the kids super cute? So if you've got a little kid next to you, turn to them and say, you're super cute. But don't be creepy if they don't know who you are. Great job to uh, those who put together the costumes and the songs. Uh, my name is Hugh. I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And uh, we love celebrating Christmas. Um, and we're thrilled that you have come to celebrate with us. A room like this will be filled with uh, many of you would be Christians. Others of you would say you're not followers of Jesus. And then there's probably a few CEOs in the room, Christmas and Easter only Christians. Um, you would be super welcome. And I'm excited that you're here um, because the bit of the Bible that we're looking at is particularly an invitation to seek and to find, to ask questions, and to find out the true meaning behind things. So whatever your background is, we are excited that you are here. Especially if you are a seeker, you're invited to consider Jesus. So no matter how anti-Christmas you are, and in a room like this, I suspect none of you are too anti-Christmas. There might be a few Scrooges, or you might have just come because you have to, and you had to oblige to some family member, but no matter how anti-Christmas you are, the key question that faces us all the time, but especially at Christmas, is what we make of Jesus and his claims. C.S. Lewis, the writer, says, you can't ignore Jesus, right? He's either Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic, but you can't just dismiss some of the things that he said. So whatever you make about the claims of Jesus, his invitation that you would experience fullness of life, that you would know joy everlasting, not just at Christmas when the children are high on sugar and we're singing nice songs, or that you would know peace regardless of your circumstances, something that billions of people in the world right now would say that they believe in and have experienced in reality. And whether we consider ourselves believers in a God, whether you think there's an afterlife or not, the Jesus question is always posed, but especially at Christmas, you can't get away from baby Jesus in a manger, can you? You can't get away from Christmas carols, even if you try to. Maybe you've been to a nativity and there's been songs about Jesus. Or maybe simply when you wrote the date on your family newsletter. Who does family newsletters? Yeah. Does it have to get better and better every year? Yeah. Those of you who spend hours doing your family newsletter, every time we write the date, we're acknowledging the impact of Jesus on our life, the historic man, Jesus, whether we like it or not. And so the key question is, how do we find out if this Jesus is real or his claims are mass to anything? Well, today the story we're going to look at, we're going to look at two responses that you can have to Jesus. Now, I know there's kids in the room and parents, you're probably stocked up on sugar and entertainment, but kids, you need to come with me on this, and I've got a few things you need to do. Parents, you can join in. This is always dangerous. It means that the talk could last much longer than it was planned. So I'm going to mention two names or two groups of people. Children, Mira, are you ready? Okay, you stay there, but I need you to do something. So when I say the name Herod, you can go full panto mode, okay? So when I say Herod, you say boo hiss. Let's practice. Herod. You, li you like that one too much. So this time, just the children, adults, 
zip it, okay? So children, are you ready? One, two, three, Herod. That's impressive. Okay, and then I'm going to say another name, and this time you pretend you've got a big beard. If your mom, I was going to say, if your mom or dad, if your dad's got a beard. <laughs> if your dad's got a beard, you can stroke that. When I say magi or wise men, you stroke your beard and go, mmm. Now, I probably should say that if I say Jesus, you should cheer, but we'll be here all night if we do that. Okay, so one last practice, Herod. Very good. Now, those of you who don't like my preach can just say boo and hide it behind that. Um, magi. Mm, okay, so are you with me? So we're going to see in these two characters, we're going to see in Herod. Well done. Come on, people. We're going to see in Herod the acknowledgement of Jesus' impact, but the rejection of his lordship and his invitation to follow him. In the Magi, yeah, very good. It's hard to discern boo and mm, but okay. In the Magi, we see openness, questioning, humility, and seeking true answers. And the choice before us is today is how do you actually seek? How do you discern truth? And what do you do when you are encountered with the weight of evidence for something. So let's turn in your Bibles, if you've got them, or it'll be on screen, to Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read the story. And um, just pre-warning, I'm probably going to mess up your nativity scenes, okay? Who's got a nativity scene at home? Two people. You guys are hard, you're a hard audience. Some of you have a nativity scene at home, okay? I apologize in advance, I'm going to mess it up, but let's read, well, the Bible's going to mess it up, but let's read the Bible. Okay, Matthew chapter 2, after, keyword, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, well done, Magi from the east, I don't know why I started this, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard, that he heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with them. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then H, no, 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 I didn't say the name, okay? Then H called the M secretly, <laughs> then Herod, okay, called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find them, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Did Herod really want to worship? No. Good answer, kids, but you missed a boo there. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his Mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And just to even things out, I'm going to say Jesus, and you get to cheer once. Okay, Jesus. Okay, well done. So this story is going to mess up our nativity, but we know much of the celebrations and poetic songs around Christmas are not entirely accurate, are they? I mean, we sing some of them here. Maybe we need to address that. But away in a manger, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I mean, if I woke up and a cow was singing my lullaby, I mean, maybe that is where we've all gone wrong, okay? Maybe instead of white noise in the background, you need moving, okay? But I think, let's be realistic, Uh, there was some crying going on, or silent nights. All is calm. All is bright. Water birth, no epidural. Uh, I've been present for the birth of my three children. None of them was peaceful and calm. And in fact, you're waiting for the cry to make sure everything's okay, aren't you? And we had to wait a little while for one. You're like, make some noise from it. Um, And then we come to our nativity scene, okay? And we have these wise men, magi, good work, um, or kings, whatever, they are dressed up in your nativity scene. And they're sitting there by baby Jesus in the cradle. So the first thing you need to do is take those three characters and move them totally to the other side of the room, okay? Because we're told that after Jesus was born, they came along, okay? So not only do you need to move them to the other side of the room, if you want an all-year-round Christmas, who wants one of those? What you can do is put them the other side of the room, so who knows? Maybe they came in June, and then you can just move them closer (laughs) every month until after Christmas when they get there, okay? So they really shouldn't be in your nativity scene, if we're being accurate, but it's okay to have a bit of fun. And then we don't know that there were three, do we? Okay? Um, now, there are some hints why there may, may have been three, but that's probably because there were three gifts. Okay? So we don't know how many there were, but we read in the story that when they entered town, they troubled the whole town. Right? Now, maybe that's because of their claim that there was another king born, but I don't think three people are going to trouble the whole town. It's likely that there was a whole caravan of these wise men They had their wives, their children, their servants, their camels, their donkeys. It was a big crowd in town. So not only can you have an all-year-round Christmas, you have a reason to go and buy a lot more decorations now, okay? And you have to fill them up in the lounge. And then there's some traditions that would suggest they had certain names. We just don't know. But I have heard a theory, and I like this one. Maybe you've seen it in a nativity. A child comes up and he brings... Children, what, what were the gifts? Gold. Gold, okay. So one child brings gold, the other one brings myrrh. And says, oh, we're getting there. And then the third one comes up and said, he didn't say that, he said, Frank sent this. Okay, so we know one of the names of the wise men. It was Frank, okay. In our house, anyone random is Bob, Frank, or Patrick. I don't know why. So one of them was named Frank. Now, getting a little bit more serious, the reality is we, we don't actually know, okay? I did hear another story. I've got to tell this one because I tried it on my kids and it worked, which doesn't usually happen with dad jokes, okay? So these parents had a particularly naughty child. Any naughty children in the room? No, don't put your hand up, okay? 
Um, and so they used to write a letter to Santa every year to explain how they've been good and why Santa should give them some presents, but that didn't work. So the parents thought, we're going to get you to write a letter to Jesus. That always works, doesn't it? So the child started to write it. Dear Jesus, this year I've mostly been good. And he stopped and he scribbled it out. He said, dear Jesus, this year I've been kind of good. Now he stopped and scribbled it out. This year, Jesus, and he stopped and he put it down and he went to his manger and he took Mary away and he said, dear Jesus, if you want to see your mother again, give me some presents. <laughs> so if Mary's missing from your nativity scene, that's probably why. Okay, but coming back to the actual story now, I've had my moment to tell some dad jokes. Um, we find Herod. Um, now, he was quite a piece of work, okay? Caesar says that it was better to be one of his sows, one of his pigs, than one of his sons. Because he had them killed. He had his wife killed, family members killed. He, he arranged for a bunch of people to be executed at his death, knowing that no one would mourn him, but he wanted there to be mourning at the same time. He was a significant piece of work, and he had one agenda. His agenda was self-exaltation. He was all about him and his own plans and his own progress. So when he hears that there might be a new king born, especially one that people had anticipated for hundreds of years, of whom there had been numerous prophecies, he gets nervous and he seems to acknowledge the reality of Jesus because otherwise he wouldn't have done anything. And he seems to acknowledge the reality of the prophecies and the foretellings enough to be threatened by them. So he takes action to try and get Jesus murdered. Under the pretense of worship, he planned murder. He acknowledged that Jesus was important, but he rejected Jesus because Jesus was a threat to his life in terms of him being on the throne of his life. And let's be honest, that's why most people don't even investigate the claims of Jesus. Because they know that if they find it to be real, Jesus needs to replace them on the throne of their lives. And so Herod rejects Jesus for the reason many people do without even realizing it. Because he will turn your world upside down. And the only way Jesus can be in your life is to be on the throne of your life. And if you are a Christian, this remains our battle. Even if you say, Jesus is my king, guess what? Christmas is the hardest time to put Jesus at the center, isn't it? With all the lavish abundance that we have, it's easy for us to put on the throne. This is what I want. This is all about me. This is, and we forget that Jesus is actually the one on the throne. For some people, they haven't outright rejected Jesus. They've just never given thought to the meaning of life, beginnings, ends, or its purpose. The Magi help us when it comes to working out how do we ask questions and how do we have a posture where we actually ask some questions about life. So what do we know about the, the, the Magi? They were probably astrologers. It's where we, we get the word magic from, okay, or magician. They were wise men from the east, probably in Persia. They were the kingmakers of the day. 
Okay, they were the ones who could tell the signs and the times and they spent their lives discerning things. They were important, well-educated people. But the question is, how did they work out that a star meant that there was a king? How did they work that out? Well, the short answer is God showed them. <laughs> okay, but it probably worked out something like this. They were in Persia, which was in the east, and the story of God's people, Israel, is that they were exiled into Persia many, many years ago. The timeline doesn't fit, but some of you know the Boney M song, By the Rivers of... Okay, you know, kind of, okay, it's not that... But what happened is, a bunch of these people from Israel who were exiled into what became Persia were wise men. You've heard the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and... Good pronunciation, son. Yes. Bonus points for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And while they were in Persia, they would have shared the writings of the prophets and Moses from years before. And one particular prophecy they would have shared would have lodged, I think this is a fair conclusion, with these people. And I want to tell you this prophecy that then the Persians would have thought, okay, when we see this happening, we've got to pay attention. Okay, All of this is... Historical. If you didn't know, the Bible is one of the most reliable historical books out there, despite whether you decide Jesus is a king or not. It's worth investigating. Okay, so we find this prophecy that they probably remembered in Numbers 23. Kids, you're going to like this one. It's got a talking donkey. Are you ready? Okay, so there's an enemy king called Balak, and he's an enemy of Israel, and he wants to hire a prophet to curse them so he can win. So he hires this guy called Balaam, who's an outstanding prophet who, for the right price, will do what you want. Um, but God doesn't want it to happen. So he's riding on his donkey, okay? And God opens the eyes of the donkey, and he puts an angel with a sword in front of him. So the donkey freaks out and goes the other way, okay? Balaam, or Balaam, however you want to pronounce it, is not happy, so he beats the donkey. Not good. And this happens again and again until eventually the donkey can't pass. There's obviously a narrow pass and the angel's there. So the donkey gives up and just lies down, okay? So Balaam is now beating the donkey a couple of times. And then this happens, verse 28 of Numbers 23. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you? I'm not sure how a donkey said it, done to you, that you have struck me these three times. And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me. Not, why are you talking? Okay, because you, you know, some of you have read that story like me hundreds of times and you've never thought. Why didn't he say that? Because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand and then I would end your life. I'm trying to be sensitive to the audience. And then this part is great. Verse 30, the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? I love the Bible. It's very normal and real with talking donkeys. And then God opens Balaam's eyes to see the angel, and he realizes what had happened. He realizes that his ass, the donkey, had saved his life. Okay. I'm glad someone didn't shout out there, okay? Some of you are still catching up. But this is, this is key. So instead of cursing Israel, Balaam blesses them, he said, and he prophesies this. Part of his prophecy was this. He said, a star will come out of Jacob and a scepter will rise out of Israel, which meant that one day a king would be born and he would bring blessing to the whole earth, right? So the Magi had this lodged 
And they were people who were serious about the meaning of life. So when the star appeared, it probably made a lot of sense. And they said, let's go and find out if there is anything to it. It stacks up. Someone said this would happen. Let us investigate. In contrast to Herod, who the Magi were humble and deliberate seekers. And God used ancient prophecies and star situations and exile of his people hundreds of years before to lead them to him. You can be sure of this. If you are open and humble and truly seeking, God will make himself known to you. I promise you that. And I'm excited you're in this room today because it could happen tonight. So why are you here? Maybe you've come for a bit of fun. Maybe you came kicking and screaming on an invite. Maybe life has been great this year and you think you owe the universe something back and you want to do some good and express thanks to someone. Maybe your life this year has been rotten. It's full of loss and brokenness and pain. Everyone in this room will have something of that. Life's broken, is it not? Or maybe you've done something pretty bad this year and Christmas has a way of magnifying our mistakes, doesn't it? And you're facing the pain of it. And you're after some kind of forgiveness and peace with God. Whatever has brought you here, I am utterly convinced it is not a coincidence. I think God has been leading you here to this point on this day. So that he can once again call you and speak to you. Because at Christmas we celebrate a God who didn't stay far off and say, you jack your ideas up, and then I'll come to you. That's not the story of Christianity. The story of Christianity is we could do nothing, so this God who is up there came as a child, and the story we're reading, and we'll finish with reading it a bit more in a bit, tells you why God did that, to bring you to himself. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. He's come, and he's walked on this earth. He makes himself known to seekers. And so I finish with a story and an invitation. You're doing well, I'm nearly there. Francis Collins, who was the head of the Human Genome Project, and in the States he was head of the National Health Institute. He is uh, he, not, not an intellectual slouch, okay? He was a committed atheist, and he thought at a very high level, and he thought people who believed in God and had faith used it as a coping mechanism, particularly if they were less educated. Pretty derogatory, right? As a young doctor, he was assigned time to care for the elderly and the dying on a ward. And one day he encountered this old woman, simple lady, who had lost everything and there was no hope for her. But she wasn't falling apart. And he said, how are you getting through this? And she simply said, I'm getting through this because of Jesus. And he said, there was a bit of a blur. He thought, what a load of kind of nonsense. And then she turned to him and said, what do you believe, doctor? How do you explain all of this? And that's my question to you today. What do you believe? How do you explain all of this? And he was stunned in that moment for him. He realized that as an atheist, he had arrived at an answer to the most important issues that humans ever asked. Is there a God? And he said, I arrived at the answer with never really looking at the evidence. I was supposed to be a scientist and scientists claim to reach conclusions based on evidence. And I had not taken the trouble to do so. 
I was determined to search for evidence. So he said, I found a pastor who put up with my blasphemous questions and gave me a book by C.S. Lewis because that's what we do when you ask hard questions. We give you a book by someone. And he said, as he looked at C.S. Lewis' story, he found that he was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect who traveled the same path in the pages of the book. And he came to realize that one can come to a belief in God on a rational basis. In fact, I came to realize, he says, that in science itself, there were pointers to a creator. There was a beginning, and it's fine-tuned in such a way that the behavior of matter and energy seemed to have been set just right. As I searched, I encountered Jesus. I thought his life was a myth, but there is so much evidence for his teaching and even for his resurrection. Faith in God now seemed more rational than disbelief. And that day at my patient's bedside started a journey I was reluctant to begin but felt I needed to. I thought my journey would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my great surprise, it resulted in my conversion. I'm now a follower of Jesus. And so I trust this evening is the beginning of a journey for you. Now, you don't need to be a prodigious intellect. One of the, the magi came and found Jesus and worshipped him. But the angel appeared to the shepherds who were far less educated, maybe school dropouts. God makes himself known. That's one of the points of the story. It's no matter who you are and where you are, God finds a way to make him known. But will you humbly seek and accept Jesus? In a moment, we're going to have the final reading, and then we're going to have a bit of time worshiping together. Um, some of them will be carolly like songs. Some will just be songs of worship. Because of those like myself in the room, Christmas is a reminder we were utterly helpless and separated from God. And He came to us in His mercy and in His grace. And I'm going to pray after the reading. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If maybe for the first time or as a believer you think, I've not been walking with Jesus and I need Him as on the throne of my life. I need His help. I need him to fill me with hope and peace and joy and take my sins from me so I can know God and the meaning of life. Maybe you're not ready for that and maybe you just want to start your journey of seeking. Well, as has been mentioned, I want to invite you specifically to the Alpha course. Starting on the 18th of January, the Alpha course is a course for seekers to come and ask questions about life and the meaning of life in a non-judgmental environment where you discuss with others who are on the same journey. You're invited to come to one night and then decide if you'll do the course. So if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you're just not really sure or you've kind of grown up in church, I want to invite you and challenge you to try the Alpha course. So just now, as we have our final reading, I think, Pat, do you want to come on up? I just want to invite you to posture your hearts and just as we read the rest of the story, and as I come to pray, why don't you ask Jesus to make himself known to you? The saving work was good as done. The fight for us was good as won. The dividing curtain as good as torn. The night that Jesus Christ was born. Now... There's only one thing left to say. What does this mean for Christmas Day? Perhaps a time of festive cheer, surrounded by those you hold most dear. Family, food, friends, and fun. Presents and stockings, the list goes on. Or 
perhaps a time of sadness, and you struggle to find the heart of gladness. Memories of Christmases past, of promises which didn't last. The biting pain of loved ones lost, or the struggle to meet the cost. Whatever is on your heart this year, remember the night that he came here. So much hope in such a small thing. The promise that we can know our king, that we will always be with him if we open the door and let him in. This Christmas, whatever is in your home, know that you are never alone. Know that you have a father above who longs to come and show you love. Remember that he is the greatest gift beyond anything on your Christmas list. There's nothing wrong with health and wealth, but the greatest gift is God himself. His value and worth you cannot measure. He cannot give you the greatest treasure. He came to give you the greatest treasure. New life with him forevermore, the night that Jesus Christ was born. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we invite you to come this evening and make yourself known to us. We posture our hearts to seek. For some of us, Lord, would you awaken our hearts for the first time and open our eyes and stir a hunger in us. For others of us, we're ready to say yes to you, Jesus, for the first time. We've enjoyed being around and having you part of our lives. But tonight, we're ready to make you the king on the throne of our lives. We give you our lives, our sin, our struggles, our hopes, our dreams. We ask for forgiveness and mercy, and we look to the cross and see a God of love who bore all the just judgment for our sin. And we look to an empty tomb, and we thank you the risen God now dwells within by his Spirit. Save us, Lord. And for those who know you, Jesus, we come again, and we say, be enthroned in our lives, every part of them. We give you our hopes, dreams, fears, desires, longings, frustrations, and questions, and we say yes to you, Lord, and we invite you, even now by your Holy Spirit, as we worship, would you be exalted, Lord, as we rejoice in all that you have done, and the God who has come to us, we say you've won our hearts, Lord. Let's stand together, friends, let's worship Jesus